This is the Aerobic Capacity Podcast, your source for endurance training. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Power Monkey Podcast. We have an incredible guest today, one of our favorite people in the world, Mr. Chris Hinshaw. Now, Chris, before we get into it, I just want to give a little rundown on your amazing credentials. Uh, Chris is the CrossFit SME for aerobic capacity. Uh, he's been coach to 30 CrossFit Games champions, which is an incredible feat, something we'll go into a little bit more on its own. Uh, he's been in the CrossFit world as an athlete for over 11 years. He's a 10-time Ironman competitor, and he's the owner of aerobiccapacity.com. Chris also graduated in 1989 with a BS in business administration and finance concentration at Cal Poly State uh, in San Luis Obispo, CA. And uh, he actually grew up in Mountain View, California. Oddly enough, and something that Chris and I found out when we first started hanging out, Chris and I lived on the same street for a number of years without actually knowing each other. Wow. <laughs> we so found it later down the road. Like, you live there? I live there. It was kind of crazy. Da we lived a number of years on the same street out in Mountain View. So, uh, he lives. At, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Right off Stanford's campus there. Yeah. Uh, but now he's residing out in Tennessee in Cookville, uh, home of CrossFit Mayhem. And uh, Chris, we're excited to have you on board. Thanks so much for taking part in this. Right. For me too. I mean, to be able to, to do this with you guys, I can't even, what a journey between the, the, the three of us, huh? Yeah. To get to this point, uh, it's going to be fun <laughs> to talk a little bit about it and let the listeners and all the people that follow us, let it, let them get some insight into exactly how far we've come and what finally got us to this point. Yeah, really. Yeah, incredible. absolutely. Yeah. The three of us are on uh, very regular calls together and, uh, this is just going to be kind of one of those other ones, actually, probably, um, one that I'm sure, and, and just kind of going through the questions and doing the research, a little bit of research on you, Chris, of course, learning a little bit more about you than, uh, than we've already known. So I'm looking forward to this and looking forward to hearing some of the questions uh, that we have for you, because normally our conversations are uh, a little bit more, a little bit more specific and um, maybe a little shorter than, than this one's going to be. But we kind of want to jump right into it because we do have a lot that we want to cover with you and we hope that we can do it uh, in, in one recording. Um, there's probably millions of recordings that we could do that would be very long with the amount of information that, that we know that you have and, and what we can talk about. But I was looking at your website, again, just doing a little bit of research, aerobiccapacity.com, and the first thing that you see that stuck out that really is there for a reason. It's there because it grabs people's attention, and it certainly grabbed my attention. It says, build your engine. Now, engine is not, you know, in in terms of what we use it for in the fitness world is not something that I have a, a, a very good one of. But uh, what does that word mean to you? If someone looks at that website and it says build your engine and maybe they're not, uh, you know, completely into the fitness community as much as we are, what does that word engine mean to you? It's the mechanical part that allows us to move. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned early on is the the space that we are are focused on is really the recreational athlete. And what I mean by recreational, it's the person who is interested in fitness, loves fitness, but wants to do a variety of things. They don't want to dive into, you know, the nitty gritty and learn all the detail and read scientific literature and look at studies. 
they want things that are easy to understand and easy to follow. And when we start talking about cardiorespiratory endurance and mm -hmm. muscular stamina, it just gets confusing. And if you confuse an athlete, someone that you're, you're coaching, you'll lose them. They'll just look over the fence for something right. easier to follow. And the word engine is something that is um, almost obvious. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great, Chris. And that's, a, um, I think, a big thing that we're always trying to do at PowerMonkey is simplify things as mm -hmm. much as we possibly can. And those are where you really find the best teachers, the ones that can say, uh, can make a, a point that, you know, we can dig into an hour, two hours of detail on and make make a point in, in as little as, as a minute and get you to understand it in simple yeah. simple terms. And so when you're working with athletes too, it, it, just in regards to the the amount of time that they're spending on certain things, the amount of time that they're working out and uh, what you want to do, I know, is you want to give people information and workouts that really gives them the most bang for their buck. And one of the things that we know that you focus on because you've taught us as we work together on things like capacity wide is, and you know, we'll probably get into that a little bit more later, but is really focusing on someone's recovery. So recovery is a word that has a few different meanings. And specifically in this regard, Chris, can you define for us what recovery are you referring to and what does that mean? So when we, when we talk about endurance, longer time domains, one of the things that um, I'm constantly looking at is, is what is preventing people from you know, performing well at these longer time domains. And within the CrossFit space, the majority of the issues that athletes have is their, the, the way in which they train, their primary focus or their emphasis in their workouts is, is high intensity protocols. I mean, it's the foundation of CrossFit, right? Constantly varied functional movements, high intensity. The problem with that is that most limitations in athletes that have been in CrossFit for over a year is their inability to, to recover. Um, and what I, what I mean by that is our inability to clear fatigue. Uh, there is a relationship inside of our body um, where we do high intensity work, which creates fatigue. And we know this is you know, lactic acid, lactate, and these fatigue-causing properties. Um, and then the low intensity uh, is what clears that fatigue. And so our fast-twitch fibers create this fatigue, and our slow-twitch fibers consume that fatigue as a fuel. And so if you only put high-intensity stimulus into your training protocols, then your body's terrific at generating lactate and also performing well under high doses of lactate. The problem is, is that you can't just keep creating more work capacity by shoving in more intensity. Eventually, you have to focus on the limitation that's preventing you from doing more work, which is you got to start clearing that fatigue. And so there's, there's two major issues or opportunities where we can work on that. And one is localized fatigue, um, where we create it in localized muscle tissue. Um, and then the other is, is that when that, that lactate hits the bloodstream, now we can really do almost anything to train the muscles on how to extract that lactate out of the blood and consume it as a fuel. And so those are the areas that um, it, it, it's been a tough concept for uh, athletes within CrossFit to understand. But as soon as I start explaining and asking them what is preventing you, for example, the people listening, you know, one of the things that's easy 
How many push-ups can you do unbroken? And what is the reason why you can't do one more? And it's one of two things. You're either not strong enough to do a push-up, strength is your limitation, or you just get tired. And if an athlete tells you that their limitation is, I just get tired, then we as coaches must fix their limitation, which is, I get tired. So this is obviously incredibly interesting stuff, and I really want to get a little bit more into the nitty-gritty on this, Chris. But you mentioned something right at the initial uh, part of your comment there about saying, I normally would start this with someone who's been doing CrossFit for at least a year. Uh, can you mention why you think that first year is so critical and being able to slowly start to expose them to this, this idea of being able to understand the recovery side a little bit more? I think I know the answer, but I want, I want to be able to, to give the listeners a little bit more why that, that first portion is so critical to be able to dissect a little bit more closely. So here's the thing is that you know, new concepts, ideas are challenging for people. And like we said from the beginning, we, we want to do things that are you know, obvious. We want to do things that are simple, like the word engine. It's, it's a simple word, but it's very descriptive. And it allows you to move to another layer. And the problem is, is that if you come in and say that we're going to start training with, you know, low intensity, aerobic, slow twitch, people are not going to bite into that. They don't have any, any foundation, any basis to, to, to grab onto. It's the same thing like, you know, I, in 2012, I started working with Jason Kalipa. Uh, Jason Kalipa is one of the greatest athletes in the sport of CrossFit. He won the games in 08, um, and I had an opportunity to work with him in 2012, 13, 14, and 15. And um, one of the things that, that Jason did back in 2012 was he, he, he started following this concept of pacing. And I was heavily criticized. And one of the things that I admire about Jason was he was criticized too, but when we started working together, he said, I will always do what you ask of me. I want to know what you're doing, but I'll always do it. I'll always be there. He was a true coachable athlete. And when we started working on this concept of pacing, which isn't revolutionary by any means, but in the sport of CrossFit, it wasn't part of the sport. I love the fact that, that he stuck with it and he went in 2013 to dominate the endurance events at the CrossFit Games. I mean, there was four endurance events and he won three of them and got a third and the fourth and got second place overall. But my point is, is that that pacing was unheard of back then. And for me to be able to get people to understand the value of efficiently and effectively consuming your available energy through pacing to maximize a performance was really tough. It's today, you know, ironically, one of the biggest buzzwords in the sport, but it takes time. And so when we come up with novel approaches that are not unique by any means, sometimes biasness um, that people have limit their willingness to listen and learn. And if an athlete's not willing to listen and learn, then it's a waste of time. Love that. So essentially it's about creating an environment where they understand the methodology. They understand who you are as a coach to be able to buy into these ideas and to buy into them. So it takes a little bit of time to build a relationship with an athlete to make them go on this journey with you into areas that they might not otherwise be willing to do. That's right. And, and the people at the tip of the spear are the elites. I mean, that's one of the reasons why elite CrossFitters appeal to me so much is because 
you know, their approach is if I always do what everybody else does, then how am I going to get ahead? And so what they're always looking for is, is innovative ideas that make sense. I mean, you know, hopefully we'll get into it, but the project that we have going on with Capacity Wad is something that, you know, I've been doing with elite level CrossFitters for four years. And it's just now in our sport starting to take traction within the affiliate level. Yeah, and, and just a little bit about, you know, we've thrown that word capacity watt out there a little bit. And so just to uh, to give a little bit of information of, of what that is, basically it's, uh, you know, a, a collaboration between the three of us where we come up with uh, workouts that, you know, um, have you use specific movements, uh, specific areas of your body. Um, and then we, you know, make you sprint for, say, 10 to 20 seconds. Uh, and then we have you do uh, a similar or the same movement pattern with a very light load, say a PVC pipe or just your body weight um, at, a, at a very slow recovery pace. And so that's comparable to, say, an EMOM. And usually our, our workouts are like five minutes long, but that's comparable to an EMOM, a five-minute EMOM or a 10-minute EMOM, where you might be sprinting for 10 to 20 seconds, maybe even 30 seconds, and then you're just completely resting. Uh, so that would be, you know, solely focusing on... Uh, the uh, max effort part of it and what you were mentioning earlier, Chris, what I took as maybe one of the uh, faults from athletes and coaches focusing solely on the max effort uh, portion of, of fitness. Is there any other one or two common ways that athletes are trying to build their engine uh, that kind of leads them to spin their wheels a little bit, you think? Well, I mean, the biggest mistake that people are making is that they're just training at maximal effort. Um, and one of the, the attractions to doing that is that the body goes through significant adaptations in a short amount of time by doing that type of training. And so athletes that, that start with those protocols are immediately rewarded with results. Um, the problem with that type of approach is that it's riddled with risk. Um, injury risk, but also it's a non-sustainable approach. The thing is, is that in order to get long-term adaptation, you have to create a, a cellular level adaptation um, within the body, in the muscle tissue. And part of doing that is changing the mitochondria, the, the powerhouses within the cells of the body. And that takes a long time. It takes a tremendous amount of time. The thing what, by doing just high intensity also is that we all know that if you put a stimulus on the body, you give it good nutrition, you get good recovery, you create an adaptation. So if you put speed on the body, you get fast. And one of the things though is, is that you only get fast in that one gear that you've trained. Remember, every single movement is unique and every single intensity within that movement is unique. So take Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt, arguably the fastest runner in the world. Does it mean that he could run a fast marathon? It doesn't because of his genetics and also the way in which he trains. He doesn't train long time domains at lower intensities. We in CrossFit, what we are is we're recreational athletes that want to be great at everything from a 10 second maximal effort all the way to walking intensity. And if you miss out on any one of those intensities within those gaps between, then you're leaving something behind. And so one of the things that, that I really stress is 
that what we have to do is we have to be looking at movement, but also the intensities within that movement so that no matter what comes your way, you're prepared. And right now with a lot of CrossFitters, you know what? They're really good at short time domains. And then as that time domain gets long, they fall off in terms of their performance. I call it a coefficient or slowing or a fatigue factor. And, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, I called back when in 2014, when Rich Froning famously walked in that triple three event, you know, it was a 3000 meter row. It was 300 double unders and a three mile run. And, you know, no one has ever up until that point in time been tested in a long time domain and it exposed a dramatic weakness. So, His so fatigue would you, factor was ultimately going to make him walk. So would you say I'm, I'm working with Kalipa, working with, with Rich and a lot of these things, you can start to pinpoint some of those deficiencies. Would you say with the everyday athlete as well, there's something that they can be doing kind of a first step to better their engine? Or would you say it's the same for a Rich as it is for the everyday athlete? I think the number one thing is, is that people need to be focusing on a variety of intensities. Um, one of the things that we all know is that by doing interval training, uh, we can maintain a higher level of intensity for a longer amount of time. And I look at it like, take for example, in the running world. Um, in the running world, what we do is, let's say you want to work on speed. What we'll do is we'll do a 100 meter sprint followed up by a 300 meter easy, easy jog. That is our active recovery. I know in our sport, we think active recovery is like an hour long row, but honestly, that's a workout. Uh, active recovery is clearing fatigue and a movement that just created the fatigue. And what we would do is we would repeat that 100 meter fast into 300 slow, let's say five times. In the sport of CrossFit, what we do is we do a 100 meter sprint and then we take five minutes of rest. And we do that because the focus, the emphasis is on the speed. We're always focused on high intensity, weightlifting, chat five by five back squat. You know what? We're always focused on the number of repetitions and the load, but we don't look at is the rest. And in our sport, we don't control the recovery. What if you have only 30 seconds of rest? Now you're not prepared. So what I tell people is, is that there's three qualities in every workout and they're all equally important. We have the volume. So let's say it's five by five, right? You got five reps times total of 25 in the, in the whole workout. But in addition, then we have the load, the intensity, or the speed, and then we have the recovery. And what people are forgetting is the importance of the recovery in there. They're equally as important, these three qualities. Yeah, and, and, and to me, that's something that's fairly new to the CrossFit world, right? I mean, if you take mm -hmm. gymnastics independently and you take weightlifting independently, um, you know, that rest is, uh, Chad, I don't know what you think about uh, the, the weightlifting world, but you know, living at the Olympic training center all those years, we used to see the weightlifters and, and watch them train in the same way, just a, a building over from us. And there was a lot of sitting around, you know, mm -hmm. you'd take your turn yeah. and then you go sit for five minutes. And the same thing would happen in the gymnastics world. We take our turn and we go sit for five minutes and make sure that we were fully rested before we took that next turn. And the, the intensity definitely took priority over the recovery for us. It wasn't a factor at all in our training and CrossFit as you're, you're illuminating to the world, Chris has exposed this deficiency in understanding the importance of recovery. And you're putting such an emphasis on it that I think it's a, it's a new world for people to really understand how they can be make them a better athlete. I mean, that's the major measure of aerobic fitness is how fast do you recover? Mm -hmm. And so part of it is, is that people need to understand that, that they have all limitations. We all do. 
but is your limitation your strength or is it your your stamina you know the ability to sustain volume or is it just your inability to recover you know i i was talking with ron ortiz and you know the mayor of power monkey camp and <laughs> he's a firefighter and one of the things that we talked about was you know firefighters they have their their packs that weigh in their gear it's 60 pounds of gear and they go in and they fight a fire and they you know will have to climb up stairwells you know with all of that gear breathing through a tank and they climb up that stairwell and it's not their inability to get up the stairwell the problem is is that when they get to the top of the stairwell they can't perform their task until they recover their recovery is preventing them from doing more work and that's the limitation for them not their intensity it's their inability to recover and then when they come out of the fire and they have to take off that tank they have to get checked out to make sure they're safe enough to put another tank on to go back in the majority of firefighters aren't safe meaning they aren't able to recover after they have used that 20-minute bottle and so you take a profession 2.3 million firefighters in the united states and one of the major limiting factors that they have is their inability to recover. Their capacity constrained in firehouses because they can't go and put a second bottle on. That's that's incredibly interesting. It kind of leads to the next question about this idea of, you know, you've been focusing so much uh, in the world of CrossFit for the past decade plus and trying to get those athletes to, to become the, the top caliber athlete they possibly can, push beyond what they thought was was physically possible. Uh, but are there any other areas of training that you're getting excited about right now? You, you mentioned firefighters and maybe working with law enforcement, but are there other areas that you're starting to get excited about trying to bring the same mentality and expose new people to? That's a good question. So, I mean, that's the thing about within the CrossFit space is that, you know, we're experts in movement. And one of the things that I, I was over in the North Shore of Oahu a couple of years ago, um, Progenics brought me over to work with elite level surfers and I got the opportunity to work with Nathan Florence, John John Florence's brother, and um, a bunch of others over there. And um, it was interesting to me when I would listen to professional surfers talk about the way in which they train. And during these conversations um, where I was just listening and learning, and I know the sport, I mean, I surf, but I learned that uh, torn ACLs is the number one injury within the sport of surfing. Interestingly enough, there's no surfers that actually run. They don't do any running protocols. They don't do any leg development at all. And their reasoning is, is like, we don't use, you know, our legs from an aerobic standpoint. It's all upper body. So we do a lot of swimming. They do a lot of upper body training. They have weightlifting protocols. I mean, they really do a good job on their upper body. The thing is, is that they're not understanding the way the human body works. And so here's a surfer and they're paddling out into the lineup and they're generating lactate, localized lactate in the arms, the muscles that are moving. And they're laying prone on that board. And they are paddling out. And what happens is, is that lactate builds up in the muscles that are moving. It spills into the neighboring space between the neighboring muscles and spills into the neighboring muscle group. And ultimately it goes into the bloodstream. And the reason why that lactic acid goes into the bloodstream is because it's trying to find vacant slow twitch fibers to remove it, to clear it. And your slow twitch fibers love that lactate as a fuel. And when it consumes the lactate, it takes the fatigue causing properties out of your body. 
Well, what happens is, is that it builds up on these surfers in their arms and it goes ultimately into their bloodstream. And where does it go? Largest muscle group in the body, the legs. So now they make it to the lineup. The big wave comes, they go to stand and they're wobbly. They may not realize it, but they're wobbly because they've got built up lactate in the legs that have just been sitting there for maybe five, 10 minutes while they paddle. And then they go and stand and then there's a little bit of chop. They do a cutback, knees at a bad angle and boom, there it pops. The thing is, if they had an aerobic type plan to build up their capacity in their legs, the capacity meaning the capacity and ability to clear fatigue, their body would have less overall fatigue when they reach that lineup. And we all see surfers when they paddle out, their legs, although sitting on the board, have a very minor kick to them. It's minor, but it's sufficient enough to help pull that lactate out of the blood and consume it as a fuel. And that's what I'm talking about, like looking at sport and looking at these movements and how do we help people improve their ability to perform in a safer and more efficient way. Uh, golf, perfect example. You know, looking at the sport of golf, I'm working with a PGA Tour uh, professional that's been on the tour 10 years. And one of the things that we've been talking about is, you know, they're on their feet 10 to 12 hours per round and they're doing four rounds in four days. They're kidding themselves that they do not have a degradation in performance after standing on their feet for 10 hours in one match, let alone over four days. And what I'm saying is, is that if you were more fit from a stamina standpoint, then that degradation would be less. And so what we're seeing is, is like you see these golfers that are performing today and Tiger Woods set the trend. You have to be fit. Because what you're asking your body to do and perform and sustain over that amount of time, it's an impossible task if you're carrying 280 pounds. Yeah, to me, this, this is fascinating. And I hope the, the listeners are really getting an understanding of uh, what you're talking about here. And um, the, the thing with the surfers, Chris, when did you say that first started? Is it something you're continuing to do? I mean, that's something to me is fascinating. Is it something that they've started to implement or you, you've seen any benefit or is there, is there enough you know, uh, guys that have been testing out this process to, to see any benefit or any decrease in injuries from their leg perspective or any knee injuries that have, uh, have subsided because of this type of training? Well, I mean, that's the tricky part is that, you know, injuries, there's always a catalyst when they, you know, they pop their ACL and it's associated with chop in, in the wave that they're going down. And so that's why it's a tricky situation. Um, and it's one of those things that's also tough to measure um, unless they actually do blood lactate testing. Um, but they are incorporating these things. And one of the things that they're doing is, is that instead of always going out and surfing, let's all right, you know what? You're going to go boogie boarding today, grab some fins and you're just going to kick. And instead of running, if you don't want to run and, and a lot of surfers, especially older surfers have bad ankles, bad knees, and you know what? They're just not able to do it. Fine. You know what? Let's get something that's more specific to the sport of surfing. Let's just focus on your kick. The thing that's interesting is, is that when we talk about surfers and developing the kick, one of the things that is, is interesting is that when they, they go into this and understand the value of kicking and how the, the human body works, now the feedback comes in. Chris, when I'm out there kicking, 
you know what? My number one issue is my hip flexor. For some reason, my hip flexor is burning on fire. And what's great about that is they've just identified in that movement, the kick, where their limiting factor is that's preventing them from getting better, their hip flexor. And so what do we do? Then we do dry land training. And that's the stuff that, that we all have created, that what we're going to do is we're going to now improve your muscular stamina in the weakness in that particular movement. And we'll do things such as, which is an incredible thing, to do a Russian twist because of swimming and in the water they have by moving the arms, that rotational movement. And we'll do Russian twists, you know, with a weight, 25 pounds, 12 seconds, as fast as you possibly can with the feet off the ground. And then what I want you to do is drop the plate and for the remainder of that minute, have all 10 fingers hit each side, but still do the Russian twist and you could have your feet sitting on the ground. And I want you to repeat that with no rest five times through. It's a five minute workout, but it's going to target your hip flexors. But again, it's going to be rotating so that it's more specific to the application. And that's what's exciting is that you get these guys on board and then the feedback comes in and you can now make some real progress with them. You start identifying weaknesses within these movements. Same thing, jujitsu. Jujitsu, you know what? A lot of jujitsu, do they ever run? Nope. Why? Because most of the work that they do is laying on the ground. But if you go and look at a 10 minute jujitsu match, how much in terms of percentage are they standing? And if you are standing 30% of the time, and your legs are aerobically inefficient, now you are missing an opportunity to clear fatigue that maybe your opponent doesn't have. And so when we look at the great MMA fighters that are out there, we talk about, wow, they've got these amazing cardio. Well, what we're really saying is that their legs are efficient at the removal of fatigue. They can, their stand-up game is where they dominate. Yeah, I mean that that's 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 incredible a take on a sport that probably would be lost on, you know, it's it's a completely new world in terms of how you can start applying some of these methodologies. Chris, is there a specific athlete whether that be, you know, a CrossFit athlete, an everyday athlete, someone who's new to it that you're being exposed to whether it be MMA now or or something else that you really enjoy working with or from your perspective is it just if there's interest in what I'm doing, I'm interested in working with them. So I've been really, really lucky to work with a lot of elite CrossFitters. And I mean, uh, and I always say that those are their wins. I mean, all of these athletes have collections of, of, of coaches and specialists that help them. I, I always look upon their wins as their wins. The, the value for me is, is, the retention. I mean, for all of us as coaches or affiliate owners, gym owners, I mean, the number one thing that we should be judged on is that, you know, we're able to retain people for a long amount of time. And, and that's, that's what I'm most proud of. Um, I, I've always coached elite athletes for free, always. I've never paid for, uh, they had them pay for anything. Even my travel, when I go and visit them, it's always I pay. Um, and the main reason why is because the elites are eager, they're interested, there's interaction, there's feedback. And when we as coaches were trying to create more innovative, effective and efficient ways, we want a population of people that will listen and will try things and give you feedback. They're more in tune with their bodies. 
And if we can create adaptation in the elite level, then when we trickle it down to the more recreational athlete, what we're doing is, is we're giving them something that is incredibly efficient and valuable for them. And that's what I've always felt is like from the elite level, we must respect people's time because people have options. And if we don't create value in, in a very quick and efficient way, we'll lose people. There's too many distractions. And so anybody that's on that high end that is willing to, to make the effort to try and understand these, these concepts appeal to me. Um, you know, one of the things that I always struggle with, though, is, is calibrating. There's some, like Matt Frazier, he is great because he's smart. And what I have to do is elevate my conversation when I talk to him. There's others where it's like, I don't know where their knowledge base is. And so you're constantly just, you know, adjusting to make it so that they understand. And like we said early on, if, 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 if we're not making something clear, it's our fault as a coach. And what makes it always challenging with a recreational athlete is their scale is, is, is really random versus a Frazier. It's at the highest level. So you can come in hot and he's going to get it. Yeah, it's, it's such a great opportunity to experiment with, with those type of athletes. And like you said, to be able to, to use the information that you gain from them and, and trickle it down to really help a lot of other people. I think the same is kind of true on the other side too. I experiment, probably do most of my experimenting with, um, with, you know, the, the average athlete, just, the um, the stay at home mom that, that just wants to, to work out and be healthy and be the best that she can. And I've been able to take some, some drills and some cues up to, uh, the elite level that have benefited, uh, mm -hmm. them as well. But with, with all the, the elite, uh, crossfitters or elite athletes that you've worked with uh, through the years, Chris, I wonder, is there any, any dirt or any maybe embarrassing short story that, that you can share with us uh, from, from one of them? From them or me? <laughs> uh, hey, either, either way, we'll, we'll take either way. You know, we get to travel a lot and, and uh, you know, but I recently was on the road for 30 days and, and Heidi and I, we, um, my better half, we, um, <laughs> We went to Europe and were in Europe for a while and then we ran over to Singapore and then we were in the Philippines. And by the time we got to the Philippines, I was 10 days in and I, I got to tell you, I was I was crushed. But one of the things that I've always done is I brought Heidi coffee ever since day one when we met every morning. And so we're in the Philippines and jet lagged and we're, we're supporting a competition there in, in the Philippines and and. Um, that night, um, I, I, I took a shower and took off my clothes, you know, and changed in the bathroom and just jumped into bed. I was just crushed. And that next morning I wake up and, you know, Heidi's still asleep and, and you know, I do my normal thing. I, 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 you know, get changed and I go down and I pick up coffee and this morning was no different. You know, I hop back in the bathroom, I grab the same pants that I had on the day before and, you know, I go downstairs and in the Philippines, it is... Uh, the hotel that we were at, the, the, the amount of service that was happening in that hotel was, I, there are people that were pushing the button in the elevator. Service mm. was everywhere. And it was really incredible, the quality of this hotel and, and the attentiveness. And I get out of the elevator and I have to make my way 
through the lobby of it, the hotel and down like a near the front desk through a corridor where there was a, a reception area for like the breakfast area that was going on because it was like seven in the morning. And um, I had to go in through that person and then into where they had this big buffet. And, you know, if you've ever been to the Far East, I mean, these buffets that they have are, are unlike anything. I mean, it was just <laughs> massive. And the amount of range of food, it was just, boy. But, I mean, I didn't even, like, check my hair. I mean, I was super mm -hmm. disheveled and everything. And I make my way down to where the coffee is, which is probably, I bet I'm 20 meters into the buffet area, in the middle of the restaurant. And I hear this like click, 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 click. And I realized like, oh, that's a woman running in high heels because the marble floors, you could hear click, 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 click. And I hear this, sir, sir. And I'm like, that can't be, no one's talking to me at all. But I turn around and this woman who works at the hotel, she, <laughs> she has her hand outstretched and in the smallest amount of pinching of her <laughs> fingers was a pair of underwear. <laughs> and she says, you drop these. And I look and I'm like, that's impossible. Like, there, there's no way that this woman has, how would that even happen? And I look and I'm all, oh my God, we're in the middle of the buffet restaurant. And I look and I'm like, oh my God. They are mine. And I'm mortified. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, do I grab them? Or, I mean, I don't even know what to do. But so I'm like, thank you. And I grab them. And now I'm pinned in the back of this restaurant. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I like, like, like literally put my hands at my side and I like march it on out of there as quickly <laughs> as I can. And I'm like, what on earth? Well, what happened was, is when I got dressed, in the same pants I wore the night before, I guess my underwear were down in the pant leg and they made their way out as I walked through the buffet. And they fell out the bottom of my leg and she grabbed them and got them for me. I mean, any other place in the world, they would have thrown them in the trash, but not there. I got them back. Nightmare. And I'm like, you know what? I told Heidi when I brought her the coffee, I'm like, I got to start cleaning up my act, man. I got to like, because I would have left them. I would be like, those are mine. I don't know who this is our. I was so mortified. And the thing is, is like all of my life, you guys know me. I, I always, I, I don't try ever and do things that put me into that space ever. And there I was and I was stuck and she was so innocent. Like she was doing me this huge thing, but she had it like at the tips of her fingers. Like she knew what they were. <laughs> yeah, well, I, absolutely. I would have walked right past him or, or kicked him to the side or something like that. I, I certainly wouldn't have uh, been, been a nice guy in that situation, but I was hoping you was going to give us a little bit of dirt on on Mr. Frazier. But you know, you you mentioned his name, and and I remember having the opportunity to spend a, a little bit of time with him. He's really good friends with uh, Cheryl Hayworth. They lived at the training yeah, center together, right. and uh, and everything else. And her and I are good friends, so we were hanging out with him. And um, I was doing a workout at the same time that that he and he and Katrin were doing a workout, and. Um, I was over there just doing deadlifts. I'd do my one or two reps. I'd wait my five to ten minutes between between sets, and I'd go do another one. But I noticed that the few workouts they did, and I say few, they probably did a good four or five workouts in the amount of time that uh, that we were there. I noticed that each of the workouts, um, and I'm assuming this is probably common for them, but in each of the workouts they would hit the floor when it was over with. Um, and it just really something I want to get your opinion on, Chris. It, it 
one made me feel better because I can't do uh, a CrossFit workout, any type of a CrossFit workout for any amount of time without hitting the floor afterwards. I just, you know, uh, I do the best I can to pace and, and all that stuff, but I'm always making a, making a good sweat angel at, at the end. And, you know, through the years that I've done that, I've had, uh, you know, some of our top dog athletes in the gym come up and kind of make fun of me and say, Hey, you know, you need to, uh, you need to, um, uh, you need to not do that. You need to stay up. And a, and a part of it is you want to walk it off and you want to clear that fatigue kind of thing like you're, like you're talking about. But at the same time, noticing those champions do it, um, what are your thoughts there? Is, is it something that you think they need to try not to do? Or do you think it's something that they're just pushing themselves to an extent through those workouts to the level that maybe they need to, to be the champions that they are? That's a great question. So obviously the reason why they're laying on the ground is because of the amount of effort that they just put in. And the fastest way for them to recover after finishing that workout is by doing nothing. It's the fastest and easiest way. Um, the thing is, is that when we lay down on the ground, eventually what's going to happen is, is our heart rate is going to drop um, during that recovery to very low levels. And when our heart rate drops, now the blood is no longer circulating. And part of what we know is that, you know, our body will consume that lactic acid, that lactate and these fatigue causing properties and clear it, you know, most of it in about 60 minutes. But what we really should be doing in, in our training is, you know, looking at our availability in terms of total time. And if we do a, a high intensity workout, some type of a Metcon, then what we should do is we should allow the heart rate to drop so that we're back in control. But what we want to do is we want to maintain a minimum heart rate during a recovery so that the blood continues to circulate that lactate rich content. And if we incorporate a active recovery protocol, it is a way not only to focus on our body's ability to grab that lactate out of the blood and consume it in the, in a fuel as a fuel in the muscles that are moving. Um, but it's also, um, it's a way for us to extend the length of the workout. Um, you know, one of the things that, that if you think about it, if you're at a hundred percent of your intensity uh, at the end of a Metcon, and that's why you have to lay on the ground, you're still, as you start recovering, at 90% intensity, 80, then 70, then 60. And what I'm saying is, is that when you get to around that 60 to 80% range, now's the time to continue moving to extend the length of time that you're actually creating mm -hmm. fitness. And we miss that. We miss that. And it is a incredible. Imagine like we do that five by five back squat. And instead of doing three minutes of sitting around, we tell people, you know, what you're going to do is a 500 meter row in three minutes. That's super slow. But you know what's going to happen is, is that they're going to do 500 meters times five. Mm -hmm. So now they did five by five back squat. But what they also did was is they threw in 2,500 meters of rowing through learning more about uh, this recovery concept and doing capacity wide with you guys and learning more from you, Chris, and just the simple act of me needing to uh, try some of these workouts out and then also uh, do some recordings and, and demonstrations and stuff like that 
I definitely feel a difference in regards to needing to lay on the ground less often and for a, definitely a shorter amount of time. So um, even for, for this lazy weightlifter here, um, you know, I've, I've been able to see benefit in that stuff for sure. You know, one of the things that's interesting is like you, you take, for example, Dave, like the pommel horse routine. How long does that routine take? 30 seconds, 30, 40 seconds. And here the legs virtually don't do anything. And what's yeah, amazing is in 30 seconds, because of the amount of force in that event, there is measurable blood lactate in the legs in that 30 second routine. And part of it is, is like, I, I, I think about these sports and there's a lot of things that are just based on tradition. This is why we do it because we always did it this way. I mean, look at the military. It's like, there's a lot of things in the military that are super antiquated. It's like, why are you doing it that way? I mean, the fact that we send in, you know, for missions, you know, individuals that are speed strength power sprinters, and we drop them in to do a 10 mile ruck to do a, you know, particular, you know, tactical situation, and then they have to ruck back out again. They're not the right person. Um, and, and when we look at gymnastics and we look at like, if you did a pommel horse routine and we have measurable lactate, those legs are fatigued. And imagine now we take them into some kind of a floor routine, you know, where these athletes are, are, are somewhat fatigued. I wonder about like women and their floor routine, is there a higher risk of injury if you have floor routine late as a gymnast? You know, is, is there, and I'm, I would assume that there would be, and it's because of fatigue. The fatigue is one of the limitations that's preventing them from doing these incredible skill movements where all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm too tired. I can't do it. And so, you, like you said early, Dave, it's like, you know, it's one of the things that we don't really think about, but it's part of the sport. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you just wonder if like there was more of an active recovery in between these routines where we can, you know, focus on these athletes being in a better place when they have to do the next routine. Yeah, and, and I think you're kind of leading towards answering the next question I have for you. Uh, but one of the things I've always enjoyed about talking uh, to you, Chris, uh, is this idea of you always having the ability to kind of think into the future in terms of fitness trends and, and where fitness is going and not being uh, complacent in terms of just trying to be better right now, but trying to think about how to affect the fitness landscape five, 10 years from now and try to impact the future of fitness by really doing a hard look at what's going on and where people can benefit. And I think you're, you're probably one of the people that do it better than most. Thanks. And I'm Thank curious uh, what you think the, the future of fitness looks like and you know what you're mentioning about gymnastics and jujitsu and, 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 and uh, sports like surfing, using certain techniques that haven't been used in the past. It, it alludes to that in, in a way in my mind, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on what the future of fitness might look like maybe five years from now and, and possibly along with that, what current trends are going right now that you see probably not being a part of the fitness landscape in that same time period? So I think the number one is, is that the attention span of, of the individual is going to become less and less, um, especially with the youth. Um, and they're obviously going to shape the direction 
Um, so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to find things that are more efficient and more effective, but also more sustainable. And that's one of the things that made CrossFit, it's, it's such an incredible activity. I mean, CrossFit, if you think about it, it targeted on accident a market that was ignored. You know, it's like all of the people that love sport that are able to sustain themselves in sport are the elites, you know, the ones that go to the Olympics, the ones that are the speed strength power specialists or these endurance specialists. They're these these genetic anomalies and they don't represent the 99% of the population. The 99% of the population sits in the middle and they're they're not genetically defective in in one way or another i mean if you think about it like i had a vo2 when i did the sport of triathlons and the movement of running of 90 milliliters per kilogram per minute which is an incredible number but i also had a lung capacity that's 50 percent larger than others i had a body fat of 3.2 percent i have i have 88 percent slow twitch fibers it's a genetic anomaly it's an unfair advantage and you guys the same thing chad it is phenomenal how strong you are yet you're not a massive guy. Genetically, you were born with these gifts. And we don't represent, though, the people in the middle. That's what CrossFit targeted. They targeted people that love sport. And I found what they did incredible. I love the fact that they've created this environment for people that just want to do variety. They want to mix it up. They want you know, to create strength. They want to work on their skills. They want to work on their endurance, their stamina. And that's what the sport did. The thing is, is that there's a lot of other sports now that recognize that, a lot of other competitors that are coming in. And one of the things that, that people are migrating to is something that is sustainable. And what I mean by sustainable is, is that if we're constantly going in and we're having to do max lifts every day, that would be a tough thing. That would be like you, Chad, you come to see me every day and you go, so what's the workout, Chris? You know, Chad, we're going to do a mile for time. <laughs> then you come to me two days later, what's the workout? We're going to do a 5K for time. Chad, what's the workout today? Oh, it's an 800 for time. Everything is always for time. Mm -hmm. You can't do that every single day. Sometimes, you know what we should do? Something that's lower intensity. Something that is, is on the aerobic side of the equation and build people's stamina their ability to do longer time domains. The thing is, is that ultimately these things, these concepts, they have to resonate. And if we're doing things such as take firefighting, if you do a, go to a firehouse and a guy, you know what, has been in the firehouse for 25 years, he's just trying to reach pension, but he knows that 68% of the people suffer from some kind of cardiorespiratory death in the, in, in the, in the field of firefighting. And you tell them like, look, hey, so we're going to do this high intensity protocol to get your fitness back. That person's never going to be interested. But if we went in there and we said, hey, listen, you know what? This is a five minute workout. And what I want you to do is I want you to mimic when you're actually pulling a hose and setting a hose to fight a fire. And what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you put a damper on a rower on a damper of 10. And what I want you to do is I want you to give me five hard pulls as fast as and hard as you can, just like you would on a hose. And then I want you to drop that damper down to one and finish out the remainder of that minute as slow as you want to go. Just keep that thing moving. I don't care how slow you go. Just keep the move, the handle moving. Do that 
five rounds. It will be five minutes, no rest. It's specific to the job. They understand the job, but more importantly, they're looking at it and they're going, wait, so five pulls every minute. Wow, I could do 25 pulls. They could wrap their head around it. And that's what it needs to be. It needs to be something that satisfies the market, but it's simple. And the last thing that I want to say on that is that, you know, I've written a lot of things lately where an athlete has a choice. What we're going to do is we're going to do workout A, and next time we do this workout A, it's going to be a little bit longer. But it's still going to be the same type of, of, of workouts or, or, you know, stimulus. It's just going to be a little bit longer. Now, if you want, we can significantly shorten it. But instead of standing around and doing nothing in your rest, what I want you to do is walk. So we can cut the time in half, but you're now going to have to walk for your recovery. After we get them walking, you know what? If you want to go a little bit shorter, you can move to level three. But now your recovery, it's not a walk. It's not standing around. We're going to do a light jog. And by giving someone an option, we can continue going longer or we could cut it way back down, but it's a little harder. 100% of people will take the shorter time domain with higher intensity, but they picked it. You didn't force them. And that's the thing about like the younger generations. They're tired of being told what to do. So give them a choice. I don't care what you do. Here's your option. And they'll always go in that direction that you want them to go because it's more efficient in terms of total time. So that's where I'm spending my effort is, is looking at these ways to give people the option. Give them the choice. But in reality, they're going to take the direction that you want. Very, very interesting. And we've had some conversations recently about trying to kind of uh, figure out ways to benefit the next generation. Right, Chris? Just recently, yeah. just a conversation last week about how do we get... Uh, you know, younger kids a little bit more understanding, a little bit more active with, you know, PE being taken out of school systems on such a rapid rate and, you know, just athletics and sports not being a priority the way that it has been in the past and how kids are such more more sedentary these days. Um, I love this idea and, and it's something that I think we'll probably end up delving into a little bit more deeply, maybe not on this podcast, but I have a feeling that it's going to be a topic that we're going to come back to after uh, we, we start to talk about this a little bit more in some future, uh, some future projects that we're working on. But, um, but I think you're, I'm sorry, Dave. I think that yeah. you're absolutely right, though, on that. Like, it, you know, I was late in developing. I wasn't good in sports until, you know, I was 19, 20 years old. And it's a shame that, that kids are thrown into these environments where if you developed early, you're going to be the point guard on the basketball team. And the people like me don't even get to be on the basketball team. And it's, it's, it's a shame that that is still happening today. And, you know, we're actively involved, you know, in the Keala Foundation, you know, on the island of Kauai, you know, and giving kids an alternative. Um, and we provide them, you know, you know, this opportunity to do CrossFit for free. Um, if they want to. And, and one of the things that we've developed is this sensitivity that, you know, these, these, these are troubled kids and one, they, they don't want to be there. And if they are, are late in developing, they're going to be embarrassed. And, you know, just like adults don't ever want to be embarrassed or feel ashamed or insecure, kids feel that too. And uh, we need to be looking at programming that is focused on, on more skill-based instead of 
featuring the biggest and the baddest and the strongest because you're going to lose those people forever. And yeah, so I agree. I think that that's something that I'm really sensitive to, mainly because I was, you know, like I said, one of the kids that developed late. And, you know, I was I was really lucky to have, you know, the support from my dad to get into the sport of triathlons. Otherwise, I, 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 I certainly wouldn't be here. Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where all this leads. And, you know, like we give that marker of, of five years. What is uh, what is our teachings going to look like? What is our what are our events going to look like in five years? And you may mm -hmm. be completely right, Chris. They may be, you know, uh, completely different. Um, and, yep. you know, with some of the projects that we're working on right now, uh, we're going to get an opportunity to experiment with some of these shorter periods of, of lecture and, and teaching and stuff like that. So it's definitely... Yep. Uh, exciting time but you also mentioned that you were a late developer yourself uh, as an athlete and I, and I can relate to that I feel like I was too I was always the the smallest kid in my class and you know luckily when I got up in, in junior high and high school even though I was the smallest one I was usually one of the strongest ones in in, in the school so uh, as you got I'm into so jealous of you like that <laughs> that must have been rough versus weighing 120 pounds and being 510 poor yeah. Chad <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, we won't Poor get into Jack. that too much, but, uh, but you know, uh, as an athlete, I did have my, my issues and, and my weaknesses and my struggles yeah. that I had to overcome. And, you know, for you as yeah. a triathlete and, and an iron many time Ironman competitor, was there anything in particular beyond developing a little bit late, uh, that, that you struggle with when you were developing and, uh, or inside of training or inside of competition, because you also said, that you had some physical anomalies that give, gave you a little bit of an advantage. Was there anything that you were lacking? So the thing was, is that, you know, I lacked a lot of confidence. Um, when I got in the sport, so I saw, I saw the Ironman on TV uh, when I was 17 and I was watching it with my dad. And if you've ever watched the Hawaiian Ironman, the one in Kona um, on TV, it's very inspiring. And you know, my dad, I'm watching it with him and he wasn't the easiest at all. It, it was, he was pretty rough at times. And, and the thing was, is as I'm watching this, I was really inspired. I kept thinking, you know what? I've never done anything athletically, but if I did that, if I finished, if I just finished, then no one can ever take it away. And there would be something athletically that I accomplished. And I just, it just blurted out of my mouth, you know, I mean, I'd like to do that, I told him, and imagine the power that he had, you know, my dad in that moment where if there was any sarcasm, if he was condescending, if he was in any way, you know, sarcastic towards me, I would have just like curled up and, and gone away. I mean, I, I, I was so insecure and, you know, just to confirm, we were like talking about the same thing because I was a little flighty as a 17 year old. And he's like, you know, that's a 2.4 mile ocean swim and a 112 mile bike ride. And then the run is across the lava fields of Hawaii in the heat of the day, 26.2 miles. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's, I, 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 I'd like to do it. And he just looked over at me and he says, okay, so let's make that happen. And uh, that resonates with me to today as a coach. Like if someone's willing to take the risk of walking in the door, then we should build their confidence and, and not defeat them. I mean, we could all write workouts that smash people, but what we're trying to do is to get them to come back. And the only way that's going to happen is by building up their confidence that we got you. 
And it doesn't matter if you're a kid or an adult, they all feel the same thing, that insecurity. And, and so the very first thing that I do when anybody, anybody starts having an interest in working with me is I, I examine where those insecurities are and I start repairing those. And that's what makes like our job, like in what we do so terrific is like, I'm doing things on multiple levels, multiple layers in parallel. So what I mean by that is like, let's say for example, Jason Khalifa back in the day, no confidence in running. Here's a guy that they had a 7K run at the CrossFit Games and he fell asleep. He passed out with, you know, before finishing. They had to wake him up because they didn't want to disqualify a former champion. I mean, that, 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 that's, that's the kind of, of, of conditioning and fitness that he had, but imagine his confidence. And so I obviously had to build up those abilities, but what I also had to do was prepare him for other layers in order to become a champion. What I mean is like, so I would, I would teach him obviously about running form. I would teach him about paces. I would build up his capacity. We would work on his recovery, all of those things. But in parallel, I would talk to him about, you know, can you feel like this, the, the clouds getting covered by the sun? Um, look at the changes in the terrain going apex to apex. I would jam him. <laughs> this is funny. I would routinely jam him on the turn. I would take mm -hmm. him and we would be running on a track and I would take my elbow and I would jam it into his bicep as I ran in. I jam. I just thought it was part. I was because I ran with him. It was kind of always so, you know, a lot of times boring for me. Um, and so I just thought that was kind of entertaining. And, and after about five months of me running side by side and working on the basics with him, and I'd still jam him all the time, you know, in the, in the bicep, um, this one time at the track, um, I do that and he turns and looks at me in the middle of running around the track. And he says, if you ever do that again, he says, I'm going to flick you with my elbow and you're going to fly from lane one all the way to lane eight. You're going to fly over that four foot chain link fence and you know I'm going to do it. So don't do it anymore. And I looked and I stopped on the track and he would like stopped like another 10 meters in front of me. He's like, what? Did I offend you? And I'm, I'm so proud of you. And he's like, wait, so I threaten you and you're proud of me? And I'm like, yeah, because you knew I was playing a game. And I will never treat you that way ever again because now you're a competitor. You're so aware of your breathing mechanics, your stride biomechanics. You're aware of your pacing. You're confident in your ability to, to manage the intensities and the, and the overall time domain of the workout that you're aware of the competitive aspects. And that's the thing is that we have this ability to do those types of changes but it all is stemming from if we don't create that level of confidence, that safeness, then you know what? They're not going to come back. They're not. And this is a delicate population of people because they're not the elites. They're not on the far fringes where they know that they got it. They know. The recreational athlete isn't have that. They don't have that level of confidence. And you, you think, Chris, that recreational athlete uh, – you mentioned this before, but you think you can take even that recreational athlete and bring them to, to complete a full Ironman? You think anybody's able to do something like that? That that incredible challenge, you think even the everyday athlete has the ability within them to, to be able to train towards completing something like that? 100%. The thing is, is that, you know, we are, all, we are the thing that makes us unique is, is we're really at the core athletes. 
And what makes us great coaches is that we're, we have always done the things that we are preaching. We've done them. We know. And the thing is, it's like back in the day when I was doing, you know, Ironmans. And I remember after finishing, um, I did an Ironman in Canada in September. I went to Hawaii a month later and did an Ironman. And then I went to Brazil and did another one in December. So I did three in three months. And I remember saying to myself after Brazil, I could do seven of these in seven days and be fast. And what's crazy is that that thought is so insane. Like when I look at it now, that how would that even pop into your head? But the thing is, is that from where I was, it was only a fractional gap to get there. And the problem with doing an Ironman for most people is that it's, it's incomprehensible. Like you can't even imagine the scale and the magnitude of being able to get there. But if you start out and doing a 5K run and then a 10K and then you get to a half, what's going to happen is these incremental differences are insignificant. They're just natural, logical steps. And so anybody who has gone and done a 5K, like couch to 5K, you know, fun run, eventually is going, if they wanted to, going to scale to the point where that would be the next logical step. And it just takes time. Every great athlete, they look at what they're doing and they think it's normal until they leave the sport and they look back and they go, wow, I was insane. Yeah. And that's where I was. As a triathlete, I will never go back and do a triathlon because the amount of effort to get to that place, it's a lot of work. But anybody can do it if they're committed to making that happen. It just takes time. And what it should do is be a natural evolution instead of forcing it. Just do a 5K. And you know what's going to happen after that 5K? I wonder if I could do a 10K. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you know, they're going to cross the finish line in Kona and they're going to be an mm -hmm. Ironman finisher. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I never thought of myself as anyone endurance-based coming from the gymnastics world. I never thought I would be able to run more than the length of the runway. You know, 76 and a half feet was as far as I ever ran in my life the end of the runway until I hit that board. And, you know, when I started in the CrossFit world, I started to, you know, okay, I got to run a mile. I got to do Murph. I got to see if I can run two miles. I got to see if I can just push a little bit more. And I ran my first 10 miles a couple of weeks ago, and it was like a huge barrier for me to be able to say, wow, you know, after so coming crazy. from a world where it's nothing, you know, there was running is just not something we ever did to be able to, to complete that. It started to open my eyes. And, and I had that, that glimpse, Chris, exactly what we were talking about. I had that glimpse like, if I can run 10, you know, I probably yeah. could run even a little bit further than that. And why not? Why not? Why not do a half marathon? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why so not? I think you're exactly right. It just takes time and, and the right little impetus to kind of get that thing going. Right. Yep. Totally agree. That's what Dave. makes that's what makes the middle population of athletes so special. You know, the thing is, is like for me, I have a, a dramatic advantage because of my my ratio of slow twitch fibers to fast twitch fibers. So I'm good at doing long time domains. The middle population, they have a ratio of like 50-50, fast and slow. And so their capability is much greater than mine. Their versatility as an individual. I mean, that, that population, we talk about the zombie apocalypse. It's the middle population of people that survives. I, I will never be able to hunt and kill. I could run and get away, but I'll starve to death. You take Usain Bolt, he'll hunt and kill. But you know what? Once he runs his 300 meters, he's going to have to start walking and he'll get caught. <laughs> it's the middle population of people that is showing the greatest skill set. And that's what CrossFit's exposed. Mm -hmm. You take a guy like Rich Froning. 
in the movement of running, he has a VO2 of 72 milliliters per kilogram, which is incredible. It's an inc- Alberto Salazar, one of the best American distance runners, had a VO2 in the movement of running of 76. Rich Froning is at 72, and yet Rich Froning can put 400 pounds over his head. Yeah, that's it, what this population is showing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a, you know obviously all interesting, but very interesting that you say that because I was just going to say that Dave, you mentioned you worked up to being able to run 10 miles, and now you want to run more. Well. I just I'm just still trying to get to the the desire to want to run one mile, right? So I don't I don't know like I'm in I'm in a lot of trouble, Chris. If if the apoc- oh. apocalypse comes, that's for sure. Yeah, you're uh, still winning championships in the Olympic weightlifting world, though, Chad. Yeah. You're still breaking world records in the masters level. So I think you still got things kind of on your plate from an athletic perspective. Yeah, I would well, say but, so. I mean, come on, how's that going to help me survive? We're we're talking about the apocalypse <laughs> is coming, so I, Guys, I might need to start thinking are, about that. All three of us are all three of all three of us are going. We're dead. We're dead. All we're of us. Well, but hey, I, I am doing some capacity wad workouts, so that is helping a little bit. I just need to keep doing those, and then yep. maybe I'll slowly get up to running that mile uh, one of these days. But, you know, Chris, you mentioned that, um, you know, being uh, a late developer and with that being insecure and, and, and kind of shy and easily embarrassed, how, when you became a coach, first of all, why why did you decide to be a coach and a teacher in this community and at the point when you decided to do that, had you mostly overcome uh, those uh, that that shyness and that introversion uh, that you had, or did you have to work on that as a coach as well? So, what I had to do is, you know, one of the things by doing the sport um, and becoming a competitor, you 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 build that confidence, and eventually that confidence turns almost into. Um, I don't want to say courage, but it was it was a, a sense of, of of bravado. You know, like one of the things if you're going into a competition and you don't think that you're going to win, then that's a problem. And you eventually have to turn that confidence into where I love to throttle people. I love to to compete. And I did. I quickly realized that, you know, I loved that adrenaline rush, that charge. You know, there's no greater rush in the world than that last 10 seconds when they're counting down the start uh, at the Hawaiian Ironman. There's 15 to 1800 people in the water and they're about to fire a cannon and you're going to throttle yourself for nine hours. That adrenaline rush, that charge is was so addicting to me. And that's the thing that I miss, like that feeling. Mm -hmm. And so when I got out and I started coaching, what you have to do is you have to, to, to unwind from that because the thing is, is that those, those, those feelings in order to win are something that's intimidating. And those things you have to shelve when you are actually bringing somebody on board. And that took me some time to realize that, that, that what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to become more self-aware when I became a coach of what I'm projecting and am I a good leader or am I intimidating? And that was the thing that takes time is that there are a lot of athletes that do not make good coaches because they can't transition from what it took to win versus feeling compassion. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of reflecting and a lot of self-awareness that, you know, what, what am I, 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 my characteristics that I'm giving off to others that they don't want to come in. 
And mm -hmm. I, I, I really felt like, you know, and I relied back on, you know, my, my early years um, when I started out in the sport and having the, the confidence and faith of my dad um, where I could take a risk and if I failed, he had me. The other thing that, that really shaped me was when I walked into a CrossFit gym for the first time. You know, uh, as an athlete, when you get to a certain point, you're really not humbled, you know, by a lot of situations because you stick in your own space. Mm -hmm. And it's a very safe space. So you know what? I'll go race you in the pool. I'll go race you on a bike. And you know what? I'm going to do well. I'm going to race you on the track. I'm going to beat you. But the thing was is that I went into CrossFit and that first time it was like, I'll never forget it. I was watching that 9 a.m. class. I went to Santa Cruz Central or Annie Sakamoto, you know, the original mothership space. And um, I was watching the nine o'clock class finish and I was not prepared for what I saw. You know, I've been in a gym before and, you know, I knew weight plates were heavy, but what I saw them picking up, it was an unusual size of a weight plate, right? I thought it was metal, but, it, and I thought they were picking like 500 pounds overhead. And then they were doing pull-ups and I had never done a pull-up before, ever. And I was thinking, wow, like, that's incredible what people can do, but I can't do that. There's, I've never done that. And I've never up until then, when, after starting the sport of triathlons, ever felt that level of intimidation. I was so intimidated the first time I went to CrossFit that as soon as the class finished and it came together as a group, I turned on the car and backed up and I drove home. <laughs> and it was an hour-long drive. It was a very humbling experience to recognize that level of fear. And so I take those like experiences and I recognize, you know what? This is how people feel. And I have to remember that. So whenever I talk to anybody, I come in with a feeling of compassion and I genuinely feel that way. You know, I, I, we all do a lot of free things in this community. I mean, and I do a ton of free things and it comes from compassion. You know, the more that you give, and you know, we give into that Keala Foundation in, in Kauai, the more that you give, you recognize the value in those things. And um, yeah, so that's, I, I, for me and my methodology, whenever I sit and I speak with somebody, it's, it's, it's coming from that place, that that's how they feel. And if I don't build that confidence that I'm not gonna smash them, and a lot of people are afraid, you know, mm -hmm. when they meet me. Yeah. Um, I'll lose them forever. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had to work on those specific characteristics as a coach and, and a teacher in this community for sure, something that I continually work on. And Chris, I'll say that you, I think you're the best at it. I mean, you do such an incredible job with that part of it and you Thank really you. are very easily accepting to anyone and everyone. And I've certainly learned a lot from, uh, from watching you for sure. But something that I really like to ask other coaches and I really enjoy hearing their answer to is, do you see yourself in the community as more of a teacher or a coach? And do you even differentiate between the two in the first place? So the thing is, is like, the, I, I look at there's two types. There's people that provide programming and then there's people that provide coaching. Um, and a lot of times I end up having to provide programming workouts um, personalized workouts uh, for individuals just because of, you know, their geographic location. Um, but I love coaching. I love watching 
people perform things. I love the, the facial expression. You know, we as athletes, we have a huge advantage when we coach. If, if we really look at, at, at these individuals and what they're, they're doing in our respective space, it tells a lot. Um, you know, one of the things that I've talked a lot about, you know, is breathing mechanics. You know, there's finally the sport is recognizing, um, you know, the, 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 the value in, in breathing. And one of the things that I always use is, you know, the breath is the tell of whether or not an athlete is in control or out of control of their intensity. Are you hyperventilating or not? And, you know, a lot of athletes, they're uncomfortable, but you know what? Their breathing pattern is fine. And so you can only get that by being there in person, seeing these facial expressions like Dave. Remember, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, I, I, I was talking to you, Dave, once and, and I said, you know, when I see someone, I'm driving past somebody running down the street, I see the image in my head long after I pass them and I could do corrections way after, like, you know, and, and I see it all. And when I watch somebody do a muscle up, and I close my eyes afterwards, I just see darkness. <laughs> and it's the same thing on a lift. I don't see yeah. anything. There's yeah. nothing there. Like I wait for it to appear and nothing. And, and, but you guys see it. And that's the great thing about being in front of somebody. It's like, Dave, you said, you know, Chris, I see all of these aspects. I don't know what you said, like 17 different aspects of a muscle up. And I know when they go out of, out of order or, you know, they mess up on one of those aspects and, and the daisy chain effect or that, you know, that domino mm -hmm. effect down the line. And I'm like, that's mm -hmm. rad. And then you're like, but that's what you do on your side. And you're, you're right. Yeah. Which is, you only get that with one-on-one -on -one where you can see them. And so I, I love that part. I, I really do. It's the best part. Like when we would get together at training grounds with all those elites and man, those days, the three mm -hmm. of us and oh, yeah. boy, I yeah, those days. It, <laughs> yeah, that was a treat for both of them, the athletes and us. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Chris, yeah, so how, about you, how about you, Chad? Do you see stuff when you close your eyes after someone lifts? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I tell people I, I, I'm working so hard on being better with names and Dave knows this. I, I have to work really, really hard at that. I'm terrible, but I can remember faces and even more than faces, I can remember people's squat for years. The way that your <laughs> squat looked, I'll remember you from that specifically. But yeah, you know, I've, I'm, I can see, you know, um, faults and, and, you know, those type of patterns with the Olympic lifts out of the corner of my eye. And so it's, uh, it's, it's a, a good quality to have. And it's, it's a really fun to be, a coach and a teacher for movements that that you know so well and you're able to uh, to break it down in such a way and and correct someone in an area of the lift for example that's before the fault that they're performing and they're kind of confused as to why you're addressing it in that order but then when you quickly explain well this is happening because of what's going on before that um, you know that's kind of a, a piece of it that that is very enjoyable to me to be able to express to someone and correct them uh, in that way. And I would say that that's very common for pretty much all the, the coaches that we have at, at Power Monkey Camp. Yeah. Does it, do you guys notice that it like slows down for you? Like yeah. for me, like when, when I, when I see someone do a movement that seems incredibly complex and muscle up or, you know, what, whatever it might be that might seem to the, you know, the, the common viewer to be incredibly complex, 
I'm watching it, and to me, I, I see it in super slow mo. Like yeah. to me, I'm able to to see so many small changes and and kind of minute adjustments that need to be made that to me it, it's almost I don't know I feel like I have a TiVo in my head that that's kind of mm -hmm. how I yeah. like to explain it to so people true. that I can like pause rewind mm -hmm. make an adjustment and then kind of see it in in a frame rate that most people it happens in a blink of an eye but to me it happens in an eternity yep. yeah it's Beautiful. funny that you it's funny that you say that on the USA weightlifting podcast Cheryl and I talk about that uh, a lot you know just in making jokes about hey did you did you pause that one in your mind and yeah yeah you know what did you see and uh, and stuff like that and I even have a lot of athletes that will ask me you know when I'm setting them up for uh, online coaching and stuff like that hey when I send this video is um, uh, do you want me to send it in slow motion or is it better for you if I send it, send it in slow motion and I'm like you know, first of all, if it was, I would put that in the instruction, but there's no need for slow motion. I had, you know, I kind of have my own slow motion that I can play in my head, especially with uh, those videos where it's easy to go back, of course, and, and watch them again. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it's an incredibly fun part of, of coaching and, and teaching the Olympic lifts for sure. Yeah. It's almost like a magic trick. So I was, so they just had the Mayhem Classic uh, here, sanctional event. And, and one of the things that they had was a five mile run uphill and it was there was two sections that were really steep and the thing was is like I know if you're and they had to wear 30 pound rucks I know that when you're running uphill and you have a ruck the source of failure in the run is going to be your calf muscles and so there's a way to run uphill where you don't activate your calves and so uh, Brandon Swan who's been going to the CrossFit Games shoot since he was 19 years old uh I happened to be his coach. He stayed at the house and I said, you know, I need to show you how to run uphill without activating your calves. And so we went to this hill and I, you know, corrected and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, can I watch you do it? And I'm like, sure. And so I demo it. And he's like, I don't see what you're seeing, what you I don't see it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and I had to go and record it so that he could do it on slow motion and then mm -hmm. zoom in and look. And mm -hmm. we take it for granted. It's like, okay, yeah, no, 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 stop. Let's reset and then re-go again because they're not getting it. But it's like mm -hmm. our eye is so fast that we just see, uh, you know, two steps and it's like, no, 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 that's not it. Let's go back again. And you're right. It's, it's like, uh, and we take it for granted, like, but others just can't do that. And it's the same thing. That's why the magic in being able to partner with you guys with Capacity Wad, it's like you, pres you present a skill set that, it takes a lifetime to have. Yeah. Right. And that yeah. is awesome. Right. Yeah. And, and I just want to say real quick, this isn't a five or 10 minute bragging session on what, what we're capable of as, as coaches, what we no. want you to get from this is understanding that, you know, if you are a coach that's interested in learning how to break the movement down like that, learning how to see the movement better, then we're confident that we can help you do that specifically by, directing your eye to the key parts of the lift and then training you to watch lifts or movement, the movement that you're trying to learn and you're trying to teach better over and over and over again. So you develop that, that same kind of eye, because that's, what's going to make you the best coach uh, and, and teacher that you can be, you know, it's, it's one of the advantages I think you were speaking of um, uh, for athletes becoming coaches, the us as athletes that have done, those movements over and over and over again and felt them and also watched other high level uh, athletes move through the same action 
over and over and over again is that we have all those years of of performing those movements and watching those movements that kind of gave us that almost immediate eye when we came into coaching that we're now trying to help uh, you guys learn and, and, and teach as well. So uh, one of the things that, uh, as I was saying, that, that if anybody's interested in, in going out and sourcing a coach for their area of interest is, is speaking with the coach and now with you know, the information age, contact them and tell them I'm interested, but I'd like more information. Can you send me a sampling of programming? And any coach that is, is a value will gladly send, I, I mean, I have a thousand workouts, here you go, here you go, go take a look at these and here's something to get you started. It's probably gonna take me three minutes to send that email. And that's what you should do is be, you know, asking them about a sampling of that, but also asking valuable questions that's going to get you to your targeted adaptation in that most efficient way. And I think that's the thing that people need more information. How do you interview a coach? How do you know that that coach is the right fit? That yeah. athlete, how do you know that that athlete who has you know, gold medals is actually a good coach? And, and that's where those conversations need to exist. You know, you need to have those. The problem is, is that most people, it's like walking into a bike shop for the first time. You've never bought a bike before. How do you know mm -hmm. what questions to ask? Right. So, yeah. Chris, we're, we're, we're coming towards the end here now. I, I want to get to these last couple of questions, but do you have a couple additional minutes? Because I want just to give the listeners a little bit more in-depth look into Capacity Wad, something that we've been developing over the course of the last year or so. I just want to get your perspective on um, what the program is. We've talked about it a little bit for, in, in the beginning in terms of how it's laid out, but uh, from your perspective, can you just let the listeners know a little bit more into what Capacity Watt is and what the intention is of the program that we created? Yeah, so what we're interested in doing is we're, we're interested in, in helping people improve two core areas of fitness. Um, one area of fitness is their ability to tolerate high levels of intensity. So a lot of um, athletes suffer from the ability to keep the muscles turned on as they generate higher and higher levels of fatigue. Uh, we refer to these types of workouts as tolerance workouts. Essentially in these types of workouts, we're gonna have you do a very high intensity effort followed by an effort that will not allow you to recover so that when you're starting your second high intensity effort, you're more fatigued than when you were in the first. And what we're doing is, is by adding more fatigue and more fatigue as you get deeper into the rounds, you're going to fight to keep the muscles turned on, which is opposite to what the muscles wanna do under higher and higher doses of lactate. And so we refer to these as lactate tolerance workouts. It's essentially a high intensity effort that has an insufficient recovery phase. And your job as an athlete is to resist the urge to quit, keep the muscles turned on. So a simple way of looking at a workout like that is if I have you sprint 12 seconds up a hill and then walk down to the bottom and then as soon as you hit the bottom, sprint up again. Well, that's not enough recovery time to clear all the fatigue that was generated from that first sprint. And so if we do that five times, by the time you hit that fifth round, your legs are gonna be saturated with this fatigue. Your job, while saturated, is to fight to maintain the same level of intensity that you did on round one. 
resist the urge to quit, force the muscles to stay turned on. The other area that is a huge part of the, 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 the offering in Capacity WAD is the focus on the recovery side. And what I mean by the recovery side is that what we're doing is we're still going to hit you with a high intensity effort, but we're following it with a very low intensity recovery movement that is designed to allow you to clear all the fatigue that was generated from the high intensity element. The problem is, let's take, let's take a movement. Say I can make you do 12 seconds of push-ups at maximal intensity. Then I'm going to flip you over on your back and you're going to do a floor press with a PVC pipe, nice and slow, mimicking the movement pattern of a push-up. Your only rule is no stopping with the PVC. At the end of that minute, you're going to flip over and repeat that 12 seconds of high-intensity push-ups and do 48 seconds of recovery floor presses with the PVC. You'll do a total of five rounds. Now, it sounds easy, but when's the last time that you've done five minutes of unbroken push-ups? What we're ultimately doing is tricking people into doing five minutes of a movement that they've never done before. We're building initially their muscular stamina in that area of a weakness. After they build up their stamina, now the recovery can take hold. But before we let them actually have that easy workout, we're going to tell them, in your next progression, do you want to work on the intensity side of the equation or do you want to work on the recovery side? Do you feel like your strength is limiting you in the push-up or do you feel like your fatigue is your limitation? If someone says it's your fatigue, then you know what we're going to do is instead of giving them a PVC pipe for the 48 seconds of recovery, I'm going to give you a five-pound plate and I'm going to make you do the recovery with a more difficult load. And that's the thing. As coaches, we know if we put a stimulus on the body, the body migrates towards the direction of that adaptation. Meaning if I every week give you more running volume, then what does your body adapt to do? It adapts to being able to do more volume. And what we want people to do is be able to do these workouts under a higher and higher level of intensity, but still have it behave or, or support the original intent behind the workout. So if I give you a five pound plate, next time you know what we're going to do is we're going to give you a seven and a half pound plate and then we're going to give you two five pound dumbbells. And ultimately what's going to happen is, is that you're going to be recovering at a higher, more difficult intensity. People listening, I would ask you, if I gave you a very high intensity 400 meter run, what would be your jog recovery speed? How fast can you recover, jog, and still be able to recover? Matt Frazier can jog and run after a, doing a very difficult Metcon and run a 735 mile and recover. He can run a 735 mile and recover. Is your recovery intensity preventing you from becoming better? And that's what we're talking about in these types of workouts. And so for me, the cool part is, is that you know, as classes, there's no better way than bringing groups of people together. You know, you have people do these workouts and you know what? We're not counting reps. We don't care how many you do. Your job is to create fatigue and then clear fatigue. Your other side on the tolerance is, you know what? Maximize the intensity and then just don't quit. And no matter who they are, whether it's Rich Froning, Katrin, Camille, Haley Adams, Ron Ortiz, it doesn't matter. They're all going to complain the same. Mm. And that's what's great is that it creates this sense of community and belonging 
um, because what we're doing is we're focusing on creating fatigue. And so long as you're doing that and you're focusing on clearance of the fatigue, then we're all the same. And that's the yeah. best. Uh, so when, when you first brought this to us, Chris, uh, a while back, this idea, uh, something you've been using with your athletes for a number of years now and getting kind of results and, and testing and retesting, you know, it, it's not really something new. That it, it's a tool that's been utilized in the endurance world for quite some time. What, what's mm -hmm. new is its application to skill-specific training. Yeah, uh, and and the application into what we do in the CrossFit world, or you know how to how to better your ability to maximize your potential with a skill like a muscle up or a snatch, yep. and that's what's really really uh, enticing and 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 fun and exciting from my perspective in terms of its application. Yeah. But the other thing that um, I think all three of us stress, and what's really important with this, and it's something you brought up, it's the athlete ownership component, mm -hmm. the 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 idea that we're going to give you the ability to choose what's right for you in terms of how to, how you need to become better as an athlete. You need to figure out where your particular limitation is. Is it your intensity? Is it your recovery? Which part do you need to be focusing on if you want to become a better athlete? So I mm -hmm. love that idea of becoming a little bit more of an athlete who takes ownership of what they need to be doing, and we're facilitating that process. I mean, this goes back to what we were saying earlier about giving choices. And if, if we tell people, all right, your workout is going to be, I want you to do five rounds. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a, um, a shoulder press with a plate. So you're going to take a plate in your hands and you're going to lift it up overhead as fast as you possibly can for 12 seconds. And then you're going to drop that plate on the ground and pick up a PVC pipe and mimic the same movement pattern, but do the movement pattern 48 seconds with the PVC shoulder press nice and slow. It's five rounds, 12 seconds of high intensity with the plate, 48 seconds of recovery with the PVC. No rest. Now, there's the workout. I would tell people, I do this workout with a 25-pound plate. You guys, you heard the workout. We're not counting repetitions. I want you to do a high intensity into recovery. There's the workout, go pick a plate, and you now own the pick. You could test it, we'll warm it all up. If you wanna switch the plate, you're welcome to switch it. And that's the thing that gets people involved is that now instead of just saying, you're doing this, this, and this, and this, here's the workout, now use your logic and figure it out. If we're always pushing content, if we're always telling people what to do, then what's happening with these athletes is they don't actually take control of their fitness. And we see this in the CrossFit space. There are a lot of athletes that work with a coach and they have no idea what the game plan is, what the program is, what the long-term benefit, they don't write anything down. And then what happens when they no longer work with that coach? They're lost and their career ends because they never took responsibility. So if we now, let's say, did that one workout, and maybe you made a mistake, but you know what? Next week, we're going to come in and we're going to work on it again. So if you did this workout last week, I would say, and I would repeat the workout, ask yourself, do you want to actually work on your speed, strength, and power side? Meaning I want you to do a more difficult or a heavier weight, or instead of doing a PVC pipe, what I want you to do is I want you to actually take a two and a half pound plate, and that's what you're going to do for your recovery. For me as a coach, I don't really care what side they take. 
All we as coaches want is an athlete to take the responsibility. If mm. they take the responsibility of their fitness, then we have them. That is the sign from them without them saying anything, I believe in you. And that's what we need to do. Without having this communication back and forth, we need to make sure that they trust us and they trust and, and we trust them. And that's the key. We can't have these little conversations. We need to do little pieces out there where, you know what? They're actually making decisions. They're, in, they're involved in the process. They're working on the areas of adaptation that they believe they need to work on. Let's face it. If we get an athlete that's focused on strength this week and then next week you want to work on recovery, so long as they keep coming back, you know what? The truth mm -hmm. is we'll make them better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, we can tell people a little bit where they can find more information on Capacity Wad. Uh, we... We have that information. We'll be able to kind of link it up, but we do have the program up on Sugar Rod right now. It's just Capacity Wad. The three of us are putting up daily workouts on there. It's a really good starting point in terms of how to access these types of training points. Uh, before we get you out of here, Chris, we've got a couple additional questions for you. One is very important to me and Chad. Uh, we've had a running tally of this with all of our guests, and um, you'll either become uh -oh. our best friend or worst enemy, depending <laughs> on your answer. Uh, but we're curious what you think a better sport or discipline is, gymnastics or weightlifting. I don't, well, so the operative word there is better. Uh -huh. So if I was, so for me, so the thing is, is I, I gotta say, I love the movements where there is this, this risk, like very high risk. And you guys offer both of those. Like I, I really like the element of risk and where how do athletes control themselves? Like I, that's what appeals to me. Like how do they control the adrenaline? And to me, honestly, like when I watched Chad do that weightlifting, like when you went there this year and Cheryl was commentating and all of that, I don't know how you guys do it. Like to me, I, I can see like in the gymnastics world and I respect it. I, what you guys and all the routines, but your moment of failure and it's so slim and, and, and let alone like all of the logic behind, you know, the, str the strategy. If there is a momentary mix up in your mind, you're out and it's over. And that's the thing, like I, to me, it was very appealing, but I think a lot of that had to do with Cheryl. So I think Dave, if you got Cheryl to commentate <laughs> a gymnastics meet, I, I you need would get Cheryl like, to come and do a beam routine. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I. So to me, I, I, I love, and I. So I've been recently, ever since watching Chad, um, I, I like pulling up those the weightlifting, and and it seems like a miracle every single time. Um, but to be honest, I, I never watch weightlifting until Chad, uh, and Cheryl ever. I always watch the gymnastic routines and again, it's the anxiety that I feel. I like that. It takes me back to when I was competing and in mm -hmm. gymnastics, let's face it, it's probably the most dangerous sport that there is besides descending down, you know, mountain passes in the Tour de France. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds, so, sounds like we so have Chad another poll. Oh, Chad gets my do, vote. Do I? Okay. So weightlifting gets the vote. Okay. That's yeah. only my second uh vote but it's, service was a politician and he voted for both if you'll believe that chris he's boy so i i mean i knew i knew the answer was gymnastics just because let's face it gymnastics has all the razzle dazzle in the world i mean let's face it i mean man 
But All right, it's well, like, but, it's but before you set. take it back, I'm I'm going to take the win on that one. So that's you two for me. Yeah, uh, that's two <laughs> for me there, Dave. Um, I think we, I think I got five on my side right now. But we had all yeah. gymnasts prior, so yeah, I'm I'm losing to... I'm losing pretty pretty badly here. So as far for a competitor, my ego's taking a big big hit, Chris. But uh, just a just a few more questions for you here. Actually, we're going to do three rapid fire questions. So um, I'm just going to uh, ask. You'll answer. Uh, okay. as quickly and, and as short as you can without thinking too much. And okay. um, the first one, if you're ready to go, Chris, ready. is if you could be a, any animal, what would it be and why? Uh, I would be a, uh, a male lion, um, mainly because when I was in Africa and just watching how they established dominance was appealing to me. I mean, they literally can strut into a situation <laughs> without saying a word and they establish their dominance. And anybody that is able to do that, um, that appeals to me. Yeah, that, that's I mean, pretty I, cool. Yeah, I, so I, I worked with uh, Marcus Buschetcha, who is a, I don't know, 12-time world champion heavyweight jiu-jitsu fighter. And I asked him about why is he, you know, interested in working, you know, in running. And he told me, he said so I can establish my dominance deeper into the round. And I'm like, hmm. the lion, the male, the male lion. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. That's definitely a, a good talent, a good skill to have. And I think a lot of those lions um, have that naturally without even trying to. But the next question, Chris, is what is the one thing you would put on your bucket list that you, that you haven't done yet? Hmm. Boy, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I would love to do a TED talk. Um, hey, yeah, yeah. I, I so I mean that that would be a, an incredible thing. Um, yeah, I would love to. Uh, I I think for me to 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 really be in a space like TED Talk and and have a chance mm -hmm. to 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 share you know the passion that i have in the in the space that that you know that i i provide within the the fitness community would 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 really appeal to me you know one of the things that that you know public speaking was one of the things that was always very difficult for me um mm -hmm. just because of insecurities and it's shocking that i i i do it today and and it's one of the things that gives me a huge level of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. You know, I went shark diving with no cage and, and I did that. Mm -hmm. I knocked that off of my list. That was the last thing. Um, <laughs> I was so scared when I shark dove that I threw up in the water and that's why I got wow. out. <laughs> and I was in for a while. Yeah. No cage. No cage. No cage. Yeah. Wow. We, were, we wow. were on a weather buoy um, offshore in Oahu. We went out in a little outboard motor like three miles offshore. Yeah, jumped overboard. I thought it was a joke, um, but apparently these sharks feed off the buoys. I did a big can opener when I jumped in and just thought I, maybe we'll see one shark. And when I jumped in, there was like 30. Mm. Oh my yeah. God. yeah, so yeah, it was too much. Like when they came up underneath, so we're swimming in the water and the shark came up from behind because there's so many, you can't keep track. And the dorsal fin scraped me on my inner thigh, then mm. ran across my belly and swam right in, uh, underneath me scraping me and wow. i'm like i got it yeah i'm like mm. yeah. Well, no thank you no nope. so yeah ted talk i would say that you should do a ted talk hopefully that can maybe happen uh for you one of these days a, a lot hey. of people would definitely 
benefit from that. And uh, shark diving is not something that's going to be on my bucket list, I don't think, especially uh, without a cage. But the last one for you here. You're going to do it in South Africa. I said we're all going to South Africa. Yeah, right? I, I, I know. <laughs> I, 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 going I, I remember that as I was saying that. I remember it. But then I remembered. I think uh, there's going to be a cage. If there's not, I probably won't go in. So well, uh, those are but, those are great whites too, by the way. Oh, geez. Let's let's yeah. not even think about that anymore right now. But uh, <laughs> the last one, I want you to take uh, Dave Durani off your list. So aside from Dave Durani, who do you admire the most? Oh, thank you there, Chad. <laughs> Um, of anything? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Of anything. I, I, boy, that's, man, I admire a lot of people though. I mean, I could just make it super simple. I, 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 I can take, a, a, you know, just looking at the CrossFit space and, and it's a very controversial pick, but, you know, this individual and what, he has done in terms of health and fitness um, and the, the, his stance on defending his position on health and fitness um, in terms of defending it at all costs um, and, and what this individual has done as far as opening up to the middle population of people that love fitness but they're not on the extremes. It would have to be what Glassman did in creating the mm -hmm. sport of CrossFit you know, I, I, until starting CrossFit, I was really crippled. Um, you know, I did a lot of volume in my day. I was swimming 25,000 meters a week. I was riding 300 miles a week and I was running 50 miles a week and racing most weekends. And, you know, doing that for eight years every week um, took its toll. And I started CrossFit just in the hopes that I can repair that broken body. And I did it and started at the age of 44 which is unheard of. And, you know, by incorporating in three CrossFit style workouts a week, it restored my health to where, you know, at the age of 52, I ran sub five minute mile. And mm. that is incredible. I have no aches and pains. I mean, you guys know me, I have none. And the only thing that I did was incorporated that into my training protocols. And I am grateful for that. And here's a mm. guy, you know, that he's very controversial in the things that he does. And he does a lot of things that, you know, bother me. But the fact is, is that he gave me my health back. And mm -hmm. I respect that. And, and I'm grateful. And that's one of the reasons why I give so much back to the sport. Yeah, I mean, I think we all feel so strongly about what Glassman has done for, obviously, CrossFit, but for our individual sports as well, and giving us a platform to be able to show what amazing sports uh, that we've kind of grown up with and, and are passionate about. Uh, I think we're all kind of grateful for what he's been able to do for us individually as well. So, yeah. I, uh, and, and I think I could have been that. better if it was around back then and I incorporated, yeah. you know, some yeah, of the protocols, sure. I could have, I could have been a better athlete. And, you know, we as athletes, we always reflect. And, you know, if I could have gone back and talked to that young Chris Hinshaw, I could have been better. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what we take forward as coaches is like we have these tools and resources that are almost infinite. And the only issue that we have is whether or not that athlete is willing to listen in those moments. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so hopefully, you know, we can give these tools to the next generation of athletes as they come up. Right. And as they're yeah. in these sports specific worlds, maybe they're not coming in as CrossFitters. Maybe they're wanting to go to the Olympics and gymnastics or weightlifting or wanting to do, 
in Ironman themselves, maybe they can start looking at the benefits of CrossFit and incorporating some some aspects of it uh, to mm -hmm. better their own training, which I think all of us are trying to do as it is right now. Yep, I agree. That's where I think the future, like, there will be all these, like, somewhat offshoots of what CrossFit is doing. Mm -hmm. But let's, I mean, be respectful of, you know, what it did all come and, and waterfall from mm -hmm. this methodology, you know. And, and that's right. the beauty also of CrossFit. I mean, they bring me on as a, you know, subject matter expert. I was not one of their big fans back in 2012 and 13 because of the things that I was saying. But they're recognizing that. You know, the sport is evolving and people are doing things that are, are finding a more efficient and effective way. And they're they're accepting of those things, which is awesome that they do that. Absolutely. It's going to continue to evolve. It's yeah. going to be interesting to see what the next five years holds for sure. Yep. Uh, well, Chris, we're kind of coming to the end here. Uh, we appreciate your time. Um, Thanks, guys. I know that the listeners are going to love this. The conversation went uh, in a bunch of different directions here and. There's so many great nuggets of information, and uh, we just want them to be able to have an avenue to find you uh, out after the podcast. Can you give us a little bit of an update of what you got coming up and where they can find you on social media, websites, and those kind of things? So the website is aerobiccapacity.com. Uh, there on that site, we have, ooh, I bet there's 14 seminars plus I've got a bunch of special events, so Watt on the Waves, uh, which I'm so excited that we all get to do that together. It's going to be awesome. Yep. And then I've got two Power Monkey ones up there. Um, and then the one in Cape Town is, is up there. Uh, we also, in there, you could find all the online programming and things that, that I do. Um, and then my Instagram is Hinshaw363. But we also post workouts um, on Aerobic Capacities Instagram. And we've got a new one launching with, uh, um, I've got a new program on SugarWad with, through Rich Froning's Mayhem Athlete, Mayhem Aerobic Capacity. So that will launch next week, which is super cool. Um, I'm, su I'm really excited about that just because I've been working with Rich since 2014. And I, I felt like, and Rich felt now that since he's on a team, why hold these workouts secret? Mm -hmm. You know, let's let other people, you know, do them and, and let's make them available. And so... Essentially, what I'm doing is I've written seven workouts per week, plus we provide one to two bonus workouts every week that people can pick and choose from. And these are the workouts that Rich and the team and Mayhem grabs um, and uses. And so, you know, it's a lot of workouts, a lot of content, um, but it's the stuff that Rich has been, been doing and will continue to do. It's just that he's at the point where, you know what, it doesn't matter if people know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, he's still going to continue to establish his dominance in the sport. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's certainly a, a, a program that I think people should check out. I'd be interested in looking at it a little bit. Uh, myself and Chris, it's always, always a, a great pleasure to chat with you. I, I just learned, um, I mean, I'm always learning something from you, but just learned a, a whole lot there um, Thanks, that man. we can actually use for Capacity Watt. So I learned even more about Capacity Watt during that conversation but uh, for the listeners out there, guys, we, we truly, truly, really appreciate you listening in. Uh, we're uh, thrilled and thankful to be able to be here for you um, uh, when, when we can on these recordings. want you guys to be sure to head over to PowerMonkeyFitness.com for uh, upcoming service or for services and upcoming events. Check out our Instagram pages for regular teaching and technical content at PowerMonkeyFitness, also at Dave Durante and at Ollie Chad. That's O-L-Y-C-H-A-D. 
Um, also, we'd love to hear from you guys. You can always leave us a rating or review wherever you're getting your podcast or contact us with any questions or requests you have for the show by sending an email to podcast at powermonkeyfitness.com. Guys, on behalf of Power Monkey Fitness, we're your host. I'm Chad Vaughn with Dave Durani. And, and until next time, thank you guys for listening.